Welcome back to this week's Agenda Cafe with me, Noreen Mir, and Karen Ko. Karen, how are you doing? I am great, Noreen. It's great to be sitting in close quarters to you, as usual, every Friday for Agenda Cafe. A lot of fun. Um, and of course, today, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we're celebrating Movember, and I forgot to bring my moustache. You already? Oh, you have it already. Oh, thanks so much. I was going to bring us fake moustaches today. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying I already have one. Anyway, um, Movember. Movember is all about men's health. In addition, yesterday was International Men's Day. And so today we're going to spotlight, throw the spotlight on men's health, both physical and mental health. I have to say one more thing. Today is my husband's birthday. Oh, happy birthday yeah. to Mr. Karen. Yeah, exactly. Happy birthday, Mr. Karen. Hope you're going to have a great day. Um, so well, let's talk about men's health. Okay, we all know men who would rather do almost anything else than go to the doctor. Um, and in fact, there was a survey done last year by the Cleveland Clinic in the U.S., which actually confirmed this to be true. Doctor dodging is widespread among men. So they surveyed about almost 18, uh, sorry, 1,100 um, uh, men and only half said they get regular checkups. 70, 72% said they would rather do household chores like clean the bathroom than go to see their doctor. Um, and they also said that a lot of men just don't like talking about their health, even when they do see a doctor. So 25% said that they haven't been completely honest with their physicians. And they cite common reasons like embarrassment or discomfort with discussing certain issues um, and not wanting to be told that they should change their diet or their lifestyle. And then some said they didn't mention a health concern because they weren't ready to face a troubling diagnosis or because they didn't want to be judged. Um, and a quarter of the men actually said they felt judged by their doctors, which is definitely not a good thing. So it can all add up to a, a dangerous you know, situation for men, both physically and mentally, as many of them may end up suffering in silence or they wait till their health conditions are, are serious before getting treated. So today we want to sort of address the issue about how do we get men to open up more about their health um, and particularly their mental health. And we have two wonderful guests joining us today to help us with that. We're joined in the studio by Ed Rollo, who's a musician, a DJ and electronic artist. And Ed is currently dealing with cancer and has been really open about it. And I'm so happy he's, he's here to talk about it. Um, and Philip Watkins, who's a naturopath. Philip has over 10 years of clinical practice in the field of naturopathy, homeopathy, and functional medicine. And he's treated a wide range of conditions in children and adults. And he also writes. Um, so he's written for magazines like GNC Live Well, Men's Health, and Nine MSN Coach, um, which is Australia's number one health and wellness website. So gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Hey, thanks for, that, thanks for having and us. And it's an all-Australian men's show today. Oh, it is. And Australian <laughs> yeah. ladies. Represent. Yeah. <laughs> Representing. Yeah. We are also on uh, Facebook Live as well, so feel free to join this discussion. Uh, during today's program, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. If you have your own journey, your own stories to share, uh, we really uh, welcome you to do so. And, of course, you can go to Karen's Facebook page as well, which is Karen, on, uh, Karen Co. on RTHK Radio 3. Yeah. And so, Ed, let me start off with you. We met in March, I think it was, when you were doing a mm. gig and I was covering the gig. Um, tell us what's been happening to you since then. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, obviously, times have changed drastically during the pandemic and things. So I think when we first met, that was about 
the beginning of when things started spiraling down. Um, and just going through that side of things has been obviously a tough year. It's been a tough year for everybody. And then since then, uh, in June was when I was first diagnosed with cancer. And then I've been basically dealing with that for the past four or five months and navigating through the Hong Kong medical system and, uh, and various other things, which I'm sure we're going to discuss today. Um, but yeah, I suppose I'm at a stage now where I'm over that first hurdle and now I'm uh, looking forward to kind of regaining a bit more of my own strength and normality of life. So, yeah, that's mm. kind of where I'm at now. And so I understand you were diagnosed with testicular cancer, which, you know, doctors always say, oh, if you're going to get a cancer, that's the best one to get because it's quite treatable, etc." True. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was it was a an odd sort of situation being in the in my GP's um, room there. My wife Kelly was with me, and uh, because things had been kind of on my mind that something might have been up, and uh, when the diagnosis came through, uh, I mean, he kind of diagnosed me in the room, even though it's not really his place to do that. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's probably this. Um, it's very common. Um, more common than I would have thought, much more common. And uh, even he said that he had it when he was you know, younger in his 20s. And I, as far as I'm aware, it's a bit more common for people in their 20s yeah, and sort of early 30s. And I'm verging on 40, so it's a little bit late for me to be going through this, um, as far as I know. And yeah, so comforting to know that it's very common, it's very treatable. You'll see the word like curable out there, which I think is the wrong term to be used. I think treatable is the right word. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a, a personality type that I follow on YouTube actually was diagnosed with testicular cancer very closely after myself. And uh, he kind of came out with a similar thing, but was going, oh yeah, it's so curable, it's so curable. And it's, he has a very wide audience of you know hundreds of thousand people who follow him. So yeah, I think that going making a bit more of a, a an effort to say yes it's very treatable but i wouldn't say that it's curable so okay you've got the physical diagnosis and whatever treatment you have to go through uh, associated with that what about the mental side of things how did it make you feel uh awful yeah <laughs> terrible mm. been kind of dealing with that on and off since really um getting a lot better at it, at dealing with it and kind of coming to terms with things. Um, I think in those initial stages, it was very dark. It was, you know, a horrible place to be in. And that kind of comes and goes with, you know, lab results that come back, waiting for information to be presented, you know. There's a lot of, it's a waiting game, all of this, and you're very much kept in the dark and at the mercy of specialists and doctors and opinions and, you know, lab results. And it can take, it take its toll mentally, very much so. Um, had moments of just staring out into darkness and just kind of going, time's up, you know, this is my number, is, has arrived. And uh, even if it's not right now, maybe it's in the very near future and sort of, uh, yeah, so I went through that um, and still go through that on and off, but uh, the ratio of that balance of 
those dark moments versus the positivity, like the needle is swaying every day. It's getting better and better that that ratio is just getting smaller and smaller of like, I would say like an 80-20 thing, you know, where 80% of the time I'm just like, yeah, I feel great. And then there's that 20% of the time where I'm like, I feel pretty shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's getting better and better as I go. Yeah. Mm. And as you mentioned just now, Ed, this, this sort of comes in waves um, also. When you were diagnosed, were there, was there any sort of support in the waiting room? You know, where did you go to seek for emotional support? Um, did you tend to lean on your family or was it something that you, you, you almost didn't want mm. to share with them too much? I mean, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, in the early stages, uh, and it didn't last long, but I was like, this is very personal. This is very private. Um, I'm not really sure who I want to talk to this about. Um, my wife has been there every single step of the way, and I give so much kind of uh, of my mental well-being and my own just kind of discovery of this. I really give so much of that to her because she's just been there every step. And I think not having a, an immediate go-to person that you can just bounce an idea off, you can kind of, you know, uh, get comfort in and not having that is got to be the hardest thing about this. I think that if you're not surrounded by family, if you're not surrounded by friends, or if you don't have a significant other that you can fall onto at times, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I, I think my, my whole outcome on this and my whole, you know, mental states, possibly my, probably my physical state as well would be completely different. So, yeah. Which, by the way, thank you so much for, for coming on the program to share your journey with us. You know, we, we know it's incredibly personal and we sure. really appreciate you sharing it because a lot of the times there are people listening who may be feeling crappy and feel alone and it's nice to know that you know you're not alone and it's okay to not be okay as cliche as that sounds it really is and there are days when we all feel pretty bummed out and it's nice to have this sharing with us thank you so much ed yeah and ed the other thing that was interesting which of course is how i got in touch with you is you've been sharing a lot of this on instagram and mm. if you look at ed's instagram account mr ed roller it's wonderful because in between great electronic music you have these posts of what's going on in your head and and how you've been treated why did you decide to do that because that's a very brave thing to do yeah I, I think it had the um, has the potential to do some damage as well uh, as well as be very um, therapeutic for myself uh, I suppose that was uh, the the reason for going down that path was it kind of felt it didn't feel right not to um, I have since being so open and, and uh, posting a lot about my journey uh, I've had a lot of people come to me and say about their own journeys and oh you know you're so brave and all this sorts of stuff I, I don't see it as being brave or being like an inspiration and all this stuff that that comes through in the comments a lot and people reaching out to me it's just didn't feel right not to do it and I think you said it before in your opening about suffering in silence and I think that's what a lot of people do is uh, but they'll reach 
out to me in a DM and they'll kind of go, oh, I also went through cancer, but, you know, I, did, I didn't, you know. But people are not so open. It's, yeah. it's so interesting to see that even when they're going through hard times and, and troubles, they're not as open. I want to mm. also bring um, Philip into the discussion as well. Thank you so much for waiting uh, patiently. By the way, we are on Facebook Live as well. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. Now, uh, Philip Watkins, you are a, a naturopath and, and you've had over a decade of clinical uh, practice experience as well. You must see a lot of uh, patients, uh, men, women and children. Do you find that perhaps men are perhaps more reluctant to share or perhaps less reluctant uh, or more reluctant to, to come in for, for diagnosis or for treatment? I, I think I think generally you could say as a theme they are. I think the more funnier kind of, I say funnier in a context kind of situations are men who have come under duress on, from their wives or they've been to a large extent actually had the appointment booked in by their wife and they're like i don't know why i'm here i've been told i need to quit smoking and you're you're going to help me do that um and i think the other side of it is though i think with men in particular i think the the tide is changing a little bit in the sense that i think men need a different reason to come and see someone for example there are some more role models you know ed included with you know who are in social media who are trying to encourage men to just do better than they were or you know in that's mentally and physically so i think there are i'm seeing a lot of men now who are interested in their general health from an optimization point of view or from a performance point of view the mental side of it is interesting though because more than ever i think we i tend to see a lot more men obviously because i am a male and the the conversation often starts about something that's physically related and i think that's often when in you know in, in what i see that men start to say hey something needs to change sleep's often the first one that will kind of trigger someone to see someone because it's going to you know affect your performance you, you know you're not going to have a great day you might be angry at your children you might kind of you know show that, that irritability right yeah. it, it might start to really affect you so then the sleep is i actually had a really interesting case a, a couple of years ago who came in for sleep and then got we got him you know obviously way back to where he wanted to be but then the third consultation i think it was was about how his anger towards his colleagues as a leader was causing him not to sleep yeah. and so it's a very quick it can be a very quick um kind of journey for for you know for some men to get to actually where they really need to you know, understand that their emotions are affecting them as well so it, it is changing but unfortunately there are still a lot of men who are you know i think the famous quote is suffering in quiet desperation right so right. why is that yeah why why don't they it's a secret <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know we always we always, i mean it's a stereotype in a way isn't it like we always say women are so yeah. emotional they're always telling each other about their problems and everything and men in a way are not allowed to then they're not allowed to show weakness or fear or you know still in this day and age the stereotype of to be a man you have to be strong you have to you have to be you know mentally strong you have to provide you can't fall apart you can't feel emotion you can't definitely can't cry in front of anybody you know or you know what does that do you find that that still does persist actually a man who cries is actually a bit more manly i find you know it's to show vulnerability exactly yeah. Yeah, please yeah. 
um, Ed, no, Philip, no, yes. Yeah. So why is that men don't, or some this, men, just we're generalizing, there are men listening to the poem saying, hey, I cry, okay, yeah. I just cried today. Um, so, yeah, Look, Philip? I guess my first comment on that is one, one of the key things that we've seen this year especially is that vulnerability is becoming more okay. And we've seen that encouraging someone to feel vulnerable and allowing it to be acceptable but also to help people understand that vulnerability isn't it, it can actually only be temporary it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're going to be considered vulnerable or weak which is actually the real the, the word that very much affects men I, I think that's fair to say is that weakness is actually a, a key part of it in that you're I guess from a primal level, you're unable to then fulfill your primal duties, so to speak. But the vulnerability is is temporary in that when you're asleep, in that men and women sleep every night, they're just as vulnerable, right? You, you you're asleep, someone can come and get you, and you know the the whole boogeyman under you know under the bed for mm -hmm. kids was more about children being stolen by tigers, you know, and it's a yeah, it, it's so I think the trying to normalize that vulnerability is is changing now and uh, as for why men maybe don't do it I, I think that's probably the six trillion dollar question now with inflation um i i still don't necessarily have the answer myself i'm not sure how you how you feel about that ed but if you have mm -hmm. anything to add but the really the the process is a long one it's okay to talk to someone but it's also where to go and i think that's other that's another huge thing is that my it took me probably three or four different goes at trying a counseling process even as a health practitioner to find someone who i could kind of, who maybe had similar values and beliefs yeah. as me or who had you know particular spiritual beliefs for example or you know fill in the blank on however that is and that's also incredibly important because i think i know a lot of men in particular who've wanted to get help but then have kind of hit a, bri a bit of a brick wall in relation to where to go how to find that help or trying or how to get mediated towards that as well in that there's you know, you basically just have to go in blind and, and see whether or not you get on with someone and then obviously sharing, you know, there's a classic thing in counselling that I've been told, I'm not, I'm not obviously a counsellor, but, you know, you really don't get the truth until the third consult. And I, I, I tend to see that in a sense with people's health in one way in that, you know, I think there's a common thing is you always see constipation before you'll see a mental issue. And, you know, it's like, oh, I've got a digestive problem. I really need help with that. But then as you, you know, as you kind of mm -hmm. unfold that a little bit, you'll, you'll, you know, kind of peel the onion towards something. But, you know, there are a few things in there. But I think the key point out of that more than anything is that uh, trying to find somewhere to go is a, is a big thing for men and I think needs more publicizing and you know i think what you're doing on, on instagram is is really good because it's actually saying hey i'm vulnerable i'm putting myself out there and i'm okay you know here I, I, i'm okay doing it 
you know and i'm not sure how you can you know how you can yeah. speak on that but we'll have to hold mm. that thought for just a second we're just approaching the 2:30 news but this is such a wonderful discussion that um we are having uh, do join us on facebook as well noreen mayor on rthk radio 3 um welcome back you're listening to the agenda cafe this friday afternoon with me karen co and noreen mir and we are having an amazing discussion about men's mental health with our two wonderful guests we're joined by ed rollo who's a musician dj and electronic artist uh, also cur- currently living with cancer and philip watkins who is a naturopath who has over 10 years of clinical practice so before the break um philip you were talking about uh how m- men sometimes don't know where to go and it's not usually always easy to find the right person so ed in in your experience i don't know whether before your health issue you paid a lot of attention to your your own mental health i mean is this is it something that now you realize really goes hand in hand with your physical health and is is also something that everyone should be maintaining um yeah i mean a hundred percent i think to answer the question yes uh i've I suppose I've been focusing on my own personal development for I mean, most of my life, really. Um, I take that a lot from my own father, who um, who really raised us for the majority of my life um, until I left home, um, you know, as a single dad kind of thing, single parent. And I uh, there was a crossroad for my father who... You know, went through some anger issues when he was younger and trying to deal with a couple of kids and failed marriage and, you know, having a mortgage and all this sorts of stuff. And he really crossed uh, a, a crossroad <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sort of started to work on himself and was getting right into self-development, personal development. Maybe it was kind of a bit of a wave around the early 90s or something like that. Sounds like a pioneer, you know, back Uh, in the day. It wasn't really talked about, but... I suppose, yeah. I mean, um, definitely. And I I think that that was a real inspiration for me. And I I got totally swept up in it as well. And I started reading all the books that he was reading and I was 15 or something. Wow, that's early. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was... I, I think I have to give a lot of that to him because... Uh, he transformed into this very open, very sensitive man, and that was something that really rubbed off on me. I became a very sensitive person. Maybe swept too far into the sensitive side and then had to regain a little bit more of like, well, with both of these worlds can coexist, mm. right? Um, and, yeah, so that just never stopped. I just kept kept on going, kept learning, kept reading educating myself more on how to work this more than just this yeah yeah do i mean do you find say in um your generation i'm a little bit older than you but you know men say from 20 to in their 40s now that there is a lot more of a recognition that you can be sensitive and you can still be tough and you can still be manly and these things are not incompatible um but but even so when you get together it's still not so easy to talk about these very personal things yeah it's it's not something that would really come up in a group a discussion i suppose i speak very openly with um my friends individually um possibly with a couple but you know it's just, it wouldn't be like a round table kind of thing um depending how personal you want to go i'm generally pretty open with everything though i'm like you know i don't make a point of 
diving into these issues but if they come up or it's on my mind then I'm happy to express it I don't like to sort of you know shut myself off yeah, I want to also ask about male friendship, or maybe just friendship in general. As we grow older, I find it's harder to make friends, it's harder to maintain those friendships. Um, is it especially uh, more difficult for men? Um, I don't know, because for women, you know, we tend to have a few girlfriends where we text or, or meet up for drinks or talk to each other on the phone. Um, but I notice that perhaps men may not necessarily have that and men perhaps then turn more towards either their work or to their partners. Um, and then that becomes their their, their, support. their support. Exactly. Thanks, Karen. You're my support. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I don't know what I'm saying. Find the words when she can't find yes. the words. So, uh, yeah, about male friendship. Do, uh, um, are men sort of finding it harder to, to maintain friendships? or Well, they or have, have different friends? friendships, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Philip, what do you think? Let me just try and think about my answer a little bit there. I, look, Here's your speed dial one, two, and three. The the <laughs> the speed dial. I well now my daughter's my speed dial, but the she's two days old by the way. She's two days old, so congratulations. She's um, but I, I think one of the, one of the key things about uh, I I don't really know if I could comment on whether or not oh, men yes. could you know how they go about social interaction mm -hmm. and things like that. I think the what one thing I probably would say is that uh, to Ed's point is that I don't think it, it's more of a one-on-one -on -one situation with with men in in my opinion in that men generally as you know I guess only in my experience is there they come together for common you know common kind of goals i.e. I like the blue team you like the blue team let's watch them let's yeah. watch the blue team beat the red team yes. and then go and you know call our friends who are the red team and then make them feel bad because they don't support the blue team and you know it, it can come in you know numerous different ways so example i already have 18 questions about uh, ed's tattoo on his arm because uh, <laughs> I, I, I have a love for synthesizers right so like so the 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 key thing about that is is that i think that what all I could speak on in that regard is that it's I still think it comes back to down to what we were talking about previously in that it may not necessarily be how do you seek out social interaction it, it may just be that over time as we're seeing you know podcasts for example or you know different men coming out in long form which I think has been in my opinion one of the turning points in men being able to speak to others and you you see various different podcasts and various different mediums where you're now seeing males talking to males for an hour and a half and that first half an hour will be yep i really love the fact that you support the blue team you go wow you know i've loved the blue team for years too and they they get along but then after that you it's can then start to build that connection there so when men get together do they talk about their feelings um, I, I would hope so. I, I think, I think the other element to that may come down to emotional literacy as well. In that, you you brought up a good point in that you know men are there's the word there are words like tough and strong, and you know fill in the blank really there. I think in mental health the way I the you know what I see in my kind of landscape is that you know someone's either depressed or anxious. As a, and one of the key things I've done in those situations is ask people to try and write down 10 other words they would use for anxious. So are you restless? Are you agitated? Mm. Are you, uh, you know, feeling uh, unsafe? 
you know, in its trying to, I guess, relabel it. So to your question about whether or not men talk about their feelings, it may, they may do, but they may not necessarily have the vocabulary yet to be able to articulate those feelings in a way that maybe isn't just, you know, excuse my language, I feel like shit. Mm. You know, what are you up to? Oh, I just feel a bit flat, you know, and that's really how it goes. So I think part of it might be that they would like to if they if they aren't because I think I'm not sure about you Ed but it mm. seems to me that you talk to your friends quite openly mm. I do too I'm very lucky in that I can mm. I can you know do that as well but I think if you can't then maybe working on a way of being able to improve your literacy so that you can communicate it to your friends especially male friends you might find I think that you know once again speak on your point Ed that you have people who will approach you say hey Oh my god, I feel the same way. Mm. Mm. You know, um, Philip, I want to go back to something you said just before the the news break, which was something about constipation. Can you <laughs> repeat what that expression is? I knew that would creep up yeah. on me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it starts off with constipation before it turns into depression. Okay, so mm. so the idea of this is that you know you are suffering from some physical ailment which you think is just physical but is really there's something a lot more to it can you just explain that a bit more sure so i think first of all i've obviously oversimplified something. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a good, it's a very good metaphor caveat you know, caveat that i think the oftentimes what i can see is that the i, I i'm not sure if leverage is the right word to use as to whether or not someone needs a, f a certain element of leverage to go and see someone and i think not you know to use the example of constipation it's not you know it's something that's going to make you feel overly comfortable you know all of the time so you do need to genuinely get some treatment for it but the oftentimes there can be you know, i think it's interesting that we still separate the the terms physical and mental because technically our, our, our brains are still connected to our bodies so your brain's mm. still physical just as much as it is mental so i think one of my more interesting kind of differentiations is the body and the the emotions in that your perception of your universe is actually potentially separate from the physicality of your brain and your body and so but to, to answer your question, I do genuinely see a lot of people who feel more comfortable talking about the fact that they get bloated after gluten or some form of food that they think is a problem than going, hey, Mr. Stranger with a funny looking beard, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm feeling unsafe all day and it's making it's giving me palpitations and i can't sleep i think people do need to feel safe first before they can then go through so yeah. i think that might be a reasoning behind it, it can you, uh, you you've probably seen it so many times now can you pretty much recognize when a man is actually wants to tell you something else than he's telling you is is there a sort of you know i don't know pattern or just just sort of the way they're talking about yeah it's just my stomach that's bothering me that's all it is maybe it's what i'm eating but actually there may be something more serious going on i think over the years i can i i think the only reason i can is because i've been through it myself mm. and i guess the idea would be is that people i've used particular terms when i've been looking for someone to ask me a different question right and i think in some cases that's the only real way i've been able to identify that someone yeah. wants to say that and may i say that that's actually women and men okay that's not it's not exclusive to men no yeah. i i would actually i, I think it, one of the things i was thinking about when i was coming in today was that 
I'm seeing a lot more women in the same situations mm. where they may not feel comfortable or they may not have the social network or even in a corporate setting, for example, they don't want to show a, a form of vulnerability, mm-hmm. for example. And so I think it was it's kind of important to, to, to kind of just at least acknowledge that yeah. as well because the... I guess bringing up the physical side of it, it happens a lot where I see a very, very similar kind of transition into a physical ailment to something that's, you know, a little bit deeper perhaps. Mm. Okay, so you just referred to that you went through this yourself. Can you share your story with us? (laughs) I can, yes. Um, So look, similar to that, I've been, I I picked up uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in uh, 1996. and uh, you know, I've been trying to work on my space between reaction and response ever since. Um, for me, my more recent idea was actually you know fatherhood, and the way I tend to describe it is that whilst I because I like mental health and I do see a lot of it um, in the clinic, I thought it would be good for me to undertake a counselling process to both protect myself but also to actually get someone to tell me the truth. Uh, which is which was, took me a long time to essentially you know feel brave enough to hear that truth and the fatherhood I, the way I tend to describe it is that fatherhood made me want to just get a little soul shower and just get you know have a little bath wash off all the, some of the dirt and that way when uh, when my little one arrived I could you know, I could just let a lot of you know the things that are bothering me over the years it, it go so that uh, she wouldn't necessarily have to feel that on me, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you think that, that this kind of thing is for anybody, really, is it should be an ongoing process? Because you're, you're going to change, things are going to happen to you in the course of your life, um, and without some of them under your control, some of, the, some of them totally out of your control. Um, so is it is it actually healthy to sort of be checking in and saying, "Okay, here's where I where I am now. This is what's changed, and maybe I need something different." Uh, I think so. I, I, it's it's hard because you. I think you don't want to fix something that isn't broken. Mm-hmm. You don't want to start looking for problems because right. I think attitudinally, that can be also you know a bit of a. Uh, I guess that that can put you in a particular place. Let's say, but I think on the other hand. You know, I'm not sure how you feel about that as well. Doing, you know, interested in personal development and, mm. and things like that for a long time as well. I think getting to know yourself is always the aim. So if you can handle the truth, so to speak, then finding out more of it may just end up being better for you. But it may take you time to be able to feel comfortable with feeling, you know, hearing that truth. Right, right. And yeah, you know, so as I said, it's. I, I think it should be a long term thing but also i one of the ways i tend to describe that to people is that if you've read the same book three times it'll read differently this you know each time Mm. and Mm. i think that's actually true with spiritual books as well you know you can go through different you know the heavier right your stage Mm. of life so so in some cases you may actually be revisiting previous you know previous things that you thought you maybe dealt with or i mean you know, previous arguments you had in the shower with someone, you know, mm-hmm. and hopefully they weren't in the shower at the time. But, you know, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, I think we've been there. So, yeah. Ed, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Philip on that, yeah, about actually 
just doing that mental check-in and I, I do I have this I do that with myself on a regular basis and just to see where I'm at if, if there's anything that's kind of stressing me or giving me anxiety I've been doing it for years and I was talking about this with my wife recently about I recently had a time where I would do this check-in is to see if anything was wrong and I reached a point a couple of years ago where there was nothing and it was the most liberating kind of feeling because I'd been dealing with some stuff for a very long time. I've had a, a very lengthy uh, kind of uh, exit from my business that I started here and it's been kind of weighing on my mind and stressing me out a lot and I did this mental check-in every morning. I'd wake up with anxiety. I'm like, what's going on here? That's the thing I need to go get fixed and that's what I need to address. Mm. Um, I've, I haven't really like consciously tried to unearth stuff or tried to fix stuff from my past, which is, I think, yeah, it could be a, a risky game in, in ways. I think you might have addressed that a little bit that, um, and I've seen this as well in some of my friends as well who have gone along this path and it's taken them down an absolute rabbit hole because then where do you stop? Right. And, and everything comes. Because they're unearthing yeah. things that really mm. they don't need to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to have some sort of a screwed up childhood of some regard, which we can look back on and kind of go, oh, was it, I was a dick. I wish I didn't say that in that time. Or there's always going to be that stuff for everybody. And I think there's a certain level of that is acceptable. You're learning, you're developing, you're, um, you can constantly evolve and change with that. Um, yeah, uh, it was, it's funny cause it was, there was that moment there where I had that level of clearance and I've had to sort of readjust now because I feel like now with this kind of cancer thing, it's now like that cloud, which I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life. Mm. And so there's, I've had to shift again to this level of acceptance and kind of uh, embracing it in a way and kind of going, well, this is just part of my life now. I'm never going to be able to just clear the slate. It's yeah. going to be there. My box is going to be full with something now. Yeah. And how should people talk about cancer to someone who's going through cancer? You know, a lot of the times people maybe treat it as an elephant in the room and don't really talk about it, talk about everything else. How's the family? How's business? How's And just don't really talk about it. How does that yeah. make you feel? Um... I'm, I'm honestly fine with it. I think everyone's doing their best. Uh, the no one's out there to sort of, you know, I'm not going to like, oh, you never brought it up, so I'm not going to talk to you again, kind of thing. And it's interesting in the in the people that I've bumped into now in the streets and who will bring it up and who won't yeah. and who just kind of was, hi man, nice to see you, bye. <laughs> you know? And it's not just cancer, it's not just an illness, but maybe a, a, a something else that's happened, you know, a, a death in the family or, mm. or redundancy mm. or just all sorts of, they know something is happening in your life, but they're just talking about everything else except for that thing, which Absolutely. you know they know. I think I've got the answer for everyone in this one. This is the, the, the one piece of wisdom you take away from this is that there is no wrong thing to say. Mm, exactly. You just have to say something, yeah. anything. doesn't matter what it is. Say a stupid thing. It's like, cool, man, I know what you were trying to say. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Um, you know, the, it, it shouldn't be an elephant in the room. You know, I've been extremely public about it. So um, it's, it's nice when people do bring it up and kind of want to know a bit more. And, like, I'm like, 
I'm open book. I want to I want to share my experience with other people because I've learned a lot in the last few months. So yeah, yeah. You actually probably should write a book <laughs> or write, write, <laughs> write a piece of music about it. I mean, one <clears> other <throat> thing I was going to ask Ed is, um, I don't know what have you yourself dealt with whatever the resources are available in Hong Kong for for mental health, and you know, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe a, sort of two sides to it. Um, the the actual advice that was been that was handed out to me was next to nothing. Really, um, you mean from the, your your doctors? Yeah, okay. I mean, besides my personal GP, who was, um, you know, like anything you need, I got you, man. That was amazing, and that was really cool. Even though he was just the initial stages of like, you should probably see someone else about this because I can only take this so far forward. But if you need anything, you come back and see mm. me. And that was, I think that was the, the end of it, really. Um, through then seeing multiple specialists, being to multiple oncologists and, you know, getting scans and waiting for reports and talking to everybody, uh, it was quite a robotic kind of procedure and there was maybe a flyer on the wall it was probably i don't not sure if they were even english i didn't really check but i'd say probably there is there if you go search for it but you have to write have to ask the right questions yeah and it can be a really lonely experience because you have your family and and some friends that you can lean on but ultimately you're on this journey and it's nice to sort of have other people going through this mm. journey as well i think there may be a small english speaking um cancer support group but it's mainly women and i think it's only recently they're sort of extending it to men right. but even then mm. because some men don't like sharing so it makes it really hard to form a a, a group yeah. but it seems like there's a that's a big gap then if the if say the oncologists and specialists are only focusing on your physical you know they're literally like focusing on the cancer cells and that's it mm. and they're not thinking about you as a whole person that that means there's something missing yeah yeah. Um, well, like I said, we are on Facebook and we do have some uh, comments on the Facebook page. Uh, Angela says, um, Ed, I wish you strength, a really powerful sharing. And also Aaron says, I weep when I hear the music of Mr. Ed Rollo. Um, it's beautiful tunes. And he has a, a sad face, a crying face. Oh, actually. wow. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully he's not, he's not yes. making him sad. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thank you very much um, indeed for, for both your sharing, Ed and Philip. Can you remind our listeners once again, if we know, want to know more about your work, Philip, have you got a website uh, we, we can go to also? Uh, my my website's Philip Watkins Naturopathy. If you want to sign up to the newsletter, um, Instagram is Philip Watkins Naturopathy as well. If you'd like to see me as a patient, um, imi.com.hk, the Integrated Medical Institute in Central. And that's about all. Thank you very much. <laughs> and Ed, if people want to hear your music, your beautiful music, and to hear more about your journey, how can they follow you and know more about your journey? Absolutely. Uh, for my music, you can go to Spotify. Uh, I've just released uh, an EP, which is on there. Uh, Mr. Ed Rollo, M-R-E-D-R-O-L-L-O. And then at Mr. Ed Rollo for all the socials, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Um, hit me up on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, and I just want to say also thank you again for sharing because it is rare to find someone who's willing to put themselves out there, you know, under public scrutiny and really share a personal story. And it's valuable for people to, you know, learn from other people's experiences. So thanks for sharing all that on your social media and also coming in for, for our show and, and talking about it. It's really been wonderful. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and all the best.
Yes, and thank you very much to Philip as well, and congratulations, thank you. <laughs> new thank dad. You. Thank you very much for joining us. Very 